Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3pm to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Things are not as they're supposed to be. I don't know anyone who would argue the truthfulness of that statement. I know many people who would argue why things are not supposed to be this way and propose different solutions for how things ought to be different. But it's an undeniable part of our existence that something's broken. Something has gone wrong. It's not all seeming to work out. We feel this in our lives. We feel it in our relationships. I feel it in mine in a number of ways, even a 37-year-old body that's not what it used to be. Like, things don't seem to be working out. It's not supposed to be this way. seems that things are, are dying off and dying out. I want to talk with you about how to live in the in-between. Um, the Bible says we live in an in-between time. We live in between the moment when things got broken and that future moment when everything will be set right. We're in between that right now. Already getting better, already coming together, solution already on its way in, but it's not all the way here. Everything is not mapped out. All the pieces have not been put back together. We still have tears on our cheeks. We still have some brokenness in our lives. But it's coming. That moment of restoration, that moment when it's all going to be healed and made new is coming. How how do we live in the in-between? The book of Ecclesiastes is given to us to help us have some wisdom about how to live these days that God gives us under the sun. How can we go through this world and make sense of things? How can we not have bitterness or cynicism in our spirit or in our hearts? But how can we trust God in the in-between? I want to chat with you about that. There are two ways to view the problems in this world. One way is to say all the problems are external. So all the solutions are going to be external as well. It's going to come from us and we're going to be able to fix the world. It's a way of looking at the world that says we can solve everything through increased education and increased technology. We can overcome all that haunts our souls through medicine and technology. We can learn all we can learn. We can educate all we can educate. We'll design all we can design. This popular way of viewing the world came to be ours through the Enlightenment. No need for God because we're smart. We're now enlightened. We can figure this out without Him. No need to pray. Medicate. If you're bored, we have some apps for that. We have you and the problems in this world. It's all out there. We just need to get enough education, enough information, enough medication, enough technology on you, and we can fix you because the problems are out there. There's another way to look at the problems of the world. It's to say the problems aren't out there, but the problems are in here. This is what the Bible offers us. The Bible's not going to say there are no problems out there. 
but the Bible's going to say the first problems we need to deal with, they're right in here. Even if you solve all the external ills of humanity, the inner man's still going to come along and jack it up. Um, this is why medicine can be created that can heal massive swaths of the population, but for a few greedy business leaders that overprice, overcharge, and put it just outside of people's reach. A solution, yeah, we can fix that, but the human heart does what the human heart does. Oh, let's just make it, let's just try to make a little money off of this as well. The inner man messing it up yet again. When it comes to the brokenness of this world, we need to realize the, the two dimensions of the problem. Internally, like part of the problems are right here. And yes, there are problems out there. Now, here's why this matters for Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We live in a world in between brokenness and restoration. And the world in between brokenness and restoration, it's, it's, it's being led, it's full of people who have brokenness in their hearts. And when we have brokenness in our hearts, whatever we lay our hands to is going to take on different nature and the aspect of that brokenness. And this applies to every institution of humanity. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, Solomon walks us through what is it like when broken people run the specific institution of the government. But you can take the, you can take the institution and you could apply it to other things. This is not just the government. It could be schools. It could be any organization. In fact, it could be a church. So we can pull alongside here and we can listen to Solomon teach us because Solomon wants to help us pick up some wisdom this afternoon. And wisdom will allow us to be in the different institutions we need to inhabit in this world and not lose heart. And in fact, not just to go through in some neutral capacity, but where he can actually lead us through, where we can be change agents in them, agents of reconciliation on behalf of a kingdom of God, changing, working things out to make everything new. Thing is, wisdom will lead us. We, we've seen the quote from Gerd von Rod over the last couple of weeks. We'll just look at it again. Wisdom is becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. Wisdom can clue us in, even about how to get alongside and how to live under a government that's full of sinners. Maybe the place you, you work, that institution, wherever it is, you have people that have brokenness on the inside as well as brokenness on the outside. And it's the brokenness on the inside that changes the way we create. So wisdom can come along and wisdom can help us understand life this afternoon, how things happen, how things really are, and what to do about it. And I just want to be really practical with you. Okay, I'm going to be really practical with this this afternoon. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have really a series of concluding messages on the book of Ecclesiastes. We want you to walk away from this book equipped with some practical tools and handles about how you can go about life in this world. So even the message, even the tone here, might just come off a little different. This is providing a lot of application and beginning the descent. Some of you say, thank God, I'm getting out of this book at last. And we're going to give some practical bits about what this book is and what it means for our lives. Yeah. So we're just going to make our way straight through the chapter. Uh, first thing, have a look at these first couple of verses. A man's wisdom makes his face shine. Solomon's talking about the government as an institution, but you can take what he talks about this institution and you can take those principles and you can apply them to different places. 
Think about it. Beginning with Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10, that's actually a dude's name, if you didn't know that. I'm not being rude. Um, And continuing over the centuries through Pharaoh, through all different kinds of leaders, Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, the Caesars, to the latest petty dictator on the world stage today, millions of people have been oppressed in one way or another by rulers who had sin in their hearts. Ecclesiastes 8 comes along with some practical wisdom for how to live in relationship with those dictators. See verse 2, it said, keep the king's command because in a fallen world, we have to be careful who we get connected to. In a fallen world, we have to be very, very intentional about who we give our allegiance to. That's what he's talking about in these verses. And the very practical application for us is that we need to be careful about who we submit to. And we're all submitting to somebody. Every single person in here, you are in various relationships of submission to different people. And the Bible says you need to be careful about how who you give the power to influence your life to. It's what a practical bit we get from the first few verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Wisdom says to us then, be careful. Be careful who you date. Be careful who you hang out with. Be careful who your friends hang out with. Be careful who your kids hang out with, rather. Be careful. Have have a way about you with this. Pay attention to who it is you give influence to in your life. Verses 3 and 4 tell us why. For he, the king here, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. So getting even more practical with this, the Bible says to us this afternoon, be careful about who gets the authority in your life. Be careful because who you submit to, once you submit to them, you become a part of them through relationship. If they get headed off into something, you could get drug off with it. Be careful who you submit to. Be careful who you give power to. Be careful who you give your influence to. Because the whole thing might become a part of what God calls evil. Be careful. This is a set of principles we're working out right here at Redeemer. Um, when it comes to the, to the people who lead this church, we're careful. We're not flipping about these things. We take great care to read in the New Testament. Like, who, sh- who should be a leader? Who should not? We pour over this. We prayerfully look around the congregation. Because of this, this is why men like Andrew, it's why men like Louise, it's like men like David are even looking after this church. We take great care. Who should authority be entrusted to? The Bible has a lot to say. Practically then, in our lives, we can walk out of here this afternoon with a greater awareness. Man, who am I submitted to? Who who am I given authority to in, in my life? And the Bible talks about this like it's a good thing. It is a good thing to live in relationships where there's power involved. It's for our protection. It's for our leading. Somebody can think about us and worry over us. It's a good thing. The Bible says be careful with it. And he's going to build on it. Next, in verses 5-6, through he says you need to know who you are before you get into those relationships. Before you start dating. Before you take that new job. Before you move to another country. Before you... Get involved in another group of people. Know who you are, is what the Bible says. 
You pour over verses 5 and 6, and it helps us see before the opportunities come our way, we need to take some time and we need to take some care to know who we are in relationship to God before we get involved in the next thing. So practical for us, isn't it? Know who you are biblically. Know who you are. Know who God says you are before you get involved in that thing. You can see how Solomon's getting to the end of a book and he's getting to the end of an argument. And he's starting to really sum things up for us then. He's saying, hey, before you go work for that new king, before you get that new Caesar in your life, know who you are. And be careful about who you give the power to. So know who you are before a thing gets started. Next, in verses 7 to 8, it says, basically, know that God is in control as well. You hear the practical applications just flowing to us. Be careful about who you submit to, because who you submit to, who you give authority to, they, they might not be for good, they might be for what the Bible calls evil, and they might work that in your life. So the Bible says, be careful. The Bible says you and I need to know who we are as created in the image and likeness of God, created to be a part of the great purposes of God before we get involved in the thing. And when we get involved in the thing, and when it seems like we're doing everything God tells us to do, and when life just feels like an absolute mess, know that God is in control. I find this so helpful. It's not just like list after list after list of things we should do to where We'll, we'll, we'll get the mistake that this is kind of like baking a cake, you know? If like you throw the eggs in, you throw the milk in, you mix that the way Paul said to mix it, you put the flour in when you're supposed to, a little bit of sweet stuff, and it'll, it'll all come together. It'll always work out. It'll always be on time. The Bible just says that is not how life works out. Even when you're careful, even when you're paying attention to who gets the authority, who gets a voice into your life, even when you're paying attention to who you are, should I be about this or not, when you're praying things up, when you're yielding to God, you go into a situation in faith and it feels like everything just falls apart. I find this very, very helpful. Soldiers are trained for war. They're told how to hold a gun. They're told how to clean a gun. They're told how to aim a gun. They're told how to shoot a gun. They're told how to enter rooms. They're told how to leave rooms. They're taught everything from how to get up, how to walk around, how to lay down at night, how to sleep. And sometimes soldiers who are trained for war, they still die in combat and they don't come home. Everything doesn't always work exactly how it should. And in those moments, we have to know that God is in control. Even those moments are under His careful care. This is all about the Bible. You're looking at this, you're hearing this today, and you're thinking, man, I still got some practical stuff I'm going to have to enter into later on or on Monday morning. And that's good and fine because the Bible is intended to actually shape wisdom inside of us through this. The Bible says the wise heart will know the proper time and the procedure. This is beautifully illustrated across the lives of several Old Testament believers. Think about some people who've done this before you. Think about Joseph. He didn't impulsively reveal to his brothers who he was because he wanted to be sure their hearts were right with the Father and right with God. Once he heard them confess their sins, Joseph knew it was the right time to identify himself. 
His handling of the delicate matter was a masterpiece of wisdom in Genesis chapters 43, 44, and 45. And we look at this and we think about how do we relate to unjust kings? How do we relate to different groups of people? Who am I? What am I getting involved with? As we study this, it actually creates a sense of wisdom inside of us. Think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was burdened to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but he was not sure the king would release him for the task. And Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2, he waited and he watched and he prayed, and knowing that God would one day open up a way for him, he had faith. When the opportune time came, Nehemiah was ready, and the king granted his request. Nehemiah was able to discern the time and the procedure to go about it. This is what the Bible has for us. It's offering it to us today. The apostles, the apostles, leaders of the early church, they exercised spiritual discernment when they were arrested and persecuted in Acts chapter 4 and 5. They showed respect towards those in authority, even religious leaders, when they were prejudiced against, when people acted illegally against them. The apostles were even willing to suffer for the faith, and the Lord honored them. There's a way to be submitted to God where God has the loudest voice in your life and you're prayerfully thinking through, man, do I date this person? Do I marry that person? Where am I going to live? There's a way to go through this where God is giving you wisdom and you're able to discern even when things aren't working out. Verses 9 and 10 are helpful as well. Don't worry, we're going to get through this. It basically goes on to talk about people that we'd be tempted to venerate in our hearts and call them heroes. The problem with heroes or heroes are but men. There's only one Messiah. There's only one Savior. There's only one person who will never let us down. And he is the one we should worship. So it's this fantastic bit down here in verse 10. Solomon reported on a funeral that he attended. The deceased was a man who had frequented the temple. The temple's called the place of the holy. He'd received much praise from people, but he hadn't lived a godly life. Yet he was given a magnificent funeral. Amazing and eloquent eulogy went off. While truly, godly people in the city were ignored and forgotten. Solomon wants us to know, even in moments right here, you can trust that God is in control. As Solomon reflected on the matter, Solomon realized that the deceased man had continued in his sin because he thought he was getting away with it, something we're about to see in verse 11. And God was long-suffering with him, but he was taking advantage of it. So simply, on the way to it, right here in verses 11 to 14, let's focus on it. Why is it? Why is it that people who practice so much wickedness, so much greed, so much deceit, why is it things go so well for them? Christians, some of you will walk home this afternoon and you will walk past doors on the way to your flat or you will walk past different doors of people who own nice houses, have nice things, and are living a life of wickedness. While you are doing your level best to know Jesus and to serve Jesus. And the Bible does not want you to lose heart. God is long-suffering with injustice, and 2 Peter 3 tells us He is long-suffering with the injustices of this world to create space 
for people to be saved. If God were going to come along and wipe away all the injustices and all the wickedness in the world, then we would just go with it. He's making space for His activity to be worked out, for people to be saved. He is showing mercy. And Ecclesiastes is so helpful. Ecclesiastes comes along, it's like, yeah, and every once in a while, God's showing mercy. People think they're getting away with it, and God just lets it keep happening. That's the funeral Solomon's observing in in, in verses 10 and 11. And Solomon's like, this is part of the world under the sun. This is part of what it means to live in the in-between. In between things going wrong and everything being set to rights. People who know God, people who live lives of sacrifice and faith and service, people who give their Saturday to travel across London to go sit in a little church office and practice and then come over here. Like there's, These friends spent their day serving us with this. And yet we'll all go to bed tonight, probably a few meters away on the other side of a 10-inch concrete wall from someone practicing wickedness and God letting the rope get very long in their life while He gives space for mercy and repentance. Christian, God knows you and God sees you even in those moments. So His conclusion then is above all, pursue joy. Don't lose heart. Do not get bitter. Do not let a wounded, cynical spirit creep in on you. God knows who you are. God knows what He's doing in this world. God knows why He lets their bank account get so full and you have to check yours before you check out at the grocery store. God knows what He's doing in this. So pursue joy. And this is where we are able to see Solomon as a preacher of joy. He's not, he's, not, he's, he's not mad. He's not upset. He is simply indexing the realities of this world for you. And he's getting to the end and he's saying, Christian, know all of these things and enjoy God right where you're at. As you lie on your pillow a few hours from now, or many hours from now for some of you, lie there knowing God sees me. God knows me. It seems to be going well. They seem to be doing fine. Doesn't look like she has the problems that you have. Yeah. God sees you. God knows you. And Solomon says, once, you, once, you've, once you've done these things, like once you're being careful, who, who gets authority in my life? Who am I inviting in? I got to have some, and you're going to have some. It's ridiculous. You're going to live a life without authority in it. It's ridiculous. No, you're going to have some people speaking into you, giving some direction. You're going to have it. So once you've been careful, okay, who's my team? Where's my squad? Once you consider, like, who am I going to align with? Once you're trusting God, when it, even it feels like you made a bad mistake, but you know, just keep trusting God. You're not making an idol out of any person along the way. Just praising God. Man, she was really gifted. Praise you, God. Don't be mad that you got your voice. Now praise God for her. She's great. Once you're doing all of this, pursue joy. What God has for you, friend, at the end of this, and don't worry, I'm nearly finished. What God has for you at the end of this, in a fallen world, living in the in-between, 
This is nurtured by doing these things God tells us to do and then text some people, make some phone calls, go out to eat, eat a little too much, drink whatever you want, get some people around you, share your story, listen to theirs, and enjoy. Because this is how we're going to make it through the in-between. By having moments when we're just going to get around and we're going to be unguarded with each other and it's like, how's it going? And these little moments are going to become oasis. I don't know if I said that right. Where you can rest your soul and you can get around each other and you can find that levity coming into your spirit. And you can, you can realize God is with me. And God is going to bring me through. So Solomon, many, many times, he writes the word meaningless. He writes the word futility over this world. And it is brokenness. Brokenness is what happens when something doesn't work how it ought to. The creation is broken. Our very lives are broken. And the solution is always Jesus. Ben, come on. I'm going to talk for too long if y'all don't come up. Y'all come on. Y'all come on. Y'all come on. Just a few ways you can, you can practically live in the in-between the week ahead. First, embrace the wisdom of Jesus. Right here and now, on the spot, just embrace it. Wisdom is a person and his name is Jesus. Not only is he the designer behind creation, he's also the one who enters the creation that he designed. And he is wisdom. And he can lead you through. He took on flesh in John chapter 1, verse 14. He grew in wisdom and in stature. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, he's greater than Solomon and he never faltered in his wisdom. Matthew 12, 42. How do you live in the in-between? You embrace the person of wisdom. His spirit will live inside of you and he will guide you. He is the answer to our limited knowledge. He's the clue to every puzzle. And the gospel teaches that he took on our sin he took on our meaningless. He took on our futility. And He stood in the place of our death to save us. So how do you live in the in-between? You live in the in-between by making sure this won't be the end. And you embrace the wisdom of Jesus. You don't, you don't only do that, but you see the gracious sufferings of Jesus as well. In a world filled with suffering, in a world filled with tyrants and unjust kings, giving people hell, in a world filled with injustices, you look at the injustice of Jesus on the cross and you see that He deserved no sin, but He chose. He chose because He sees you and He knows you and He loves you. He chose to take your sin onto Himself and it's gracious. Our God is not distant to the problem of sin. He's not distant to the problems of evil and suffering. He comes all the way up to it and enters into it for us. So how do you live in the in-between? You remember, yeah, we suffer, but He suffered ultimately for us. And we keep bringing that to heart and that keeps bringing us through. How do you live in the in-between? You receive His healing for your brokenness. Receive it right here now on the spot. You don't have to go home and do this. You don't have to think about this for tomorrow. You can have it today. Receive His healing for everything about you that's broken. Receive it right here and now on the spot. Jesus is the Savior. 
He saves us from brokenness. The brokenness is our own sin, our own rebellion, our own disobedience. We all look at the true King of heaven and we say, forget you, we're going to try us. And we make a mess of things, don't we? And here this afternoon, the gracious King, He has scars, He comes to you. He offers healing. Receive it. Receive it right here and now this afternoon. Isaiah 53 explains the wisdom and foolishness of Ecclesiastes 7-11. to The righteous man got what the wicked deserved so the wicked could get what the righteous deserved. And all the folly of a Christian sleeping a few meters away from a wicked person who has a loaded bank account while the Christian struggles to get by. It's the wisdom of the world that will shame, that will shame the fool in the end. Christian, you take heart. He sees you. He will heal you on the inside and He will progressively heal your life and in the end, He will make everything right. That's how we're going to get through in the in-between. The poor, wise Savior who rescued the world, He's rejected and He's despised because the wisdom of God is foolishness to this world. It doesn't look right. It looks upside down. The whole world's looking. Like, you lot? You're in? Yeah, we are. Turn to Jesus. He can free you. He can heal you on the spot. As songs are sung and prayers are prayed, you can just grab somebody around you that looks like they have more of an understanding for what's happening here than you do. And you just say, well, you pray for me because I have some brokenness in me that I want Jesus to heal. Ask him to heal you finally, and I'm out. Join in the world healing mission of Jesus as well. It's never been about us being fixed just so we can be fixed. God doesn't create little puddles of blessing. When you walk home tonight and you see those puddles, you look at those puddles and you know that is not who God made you to be. God doesn't just fix us just so we can be better. God is not creating puddles of blessing in the world. God wants to create a channel of blessing, a river of blessing, cutting through and tearing through this dry and parched world. He wants to do it through you. He wants to fill up your life. He wants to heal your life on the inside. And then you join Him. You flow with Him through this world. A river of blessing. Bringing news of His salvation to your neighbors that look like they got it all together. Acts of charity and service to people when we see them. You walk past a homeless person tonight. Don't act like you don't see them. Look at them. Maybe just stop. Say hey. Ask their name. When you follow God's design in a fallen world, things don't always work out immediately, but they do work out ultimately. And that is where we are. Immediately, He's with us. And ultimately, He will get the last word. He will get the last word on every part of our life. He will get the last word over every neighbor around us. God is making all things new. He is setting everything right to His design. And He is inviting His church to join Him in His purposes of renewal. Your job, your neighbors, your kids, your spouse, your friends, this is the community where you get to work out what it means to be an agent of His reconciling love. So we don't just leave here today thinking about us. We leave here today thinking about other people. And we can trust that these things are true because we fear a sovereign God who is in control. He knows your life. He knows your stage. He knows your situation. 
and he will fix all of this in the end. Let's rest in him together. Our Father in heaven, we need your healing. We need, we need you to work this out in us today. Anyone in here hurting? Father, please heal. Friend, just reach out to God. Ask him to work in your heart. He hears, he hears your prayers. He knows your thoughts. Give him your life. Trust him. He'll come through. Father, we're, we need your help. We need it in a whole lot of ways. So we pray that your spirit would rest on us as we sit in this space right now. We pray that you would help. We pray that you would heal. And we pray that you would guide. Here we are. We're your people. Minister to us, we ask. In Jesus' name.